Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. So, how's your week been? I guess last week's sermon, Prepare to Stand, was pretty timely. You see, we're just regular people trying to learn how to stand firm in our own convictions about biblical values. The pushback from our We the Parents event next Sunday on trying to learn how to stand firm on our convictions has just flat out been mind-boggling. You see, like I said last week, if you stand with Jesus, then you need to be prepared to be treated like Jesus. The reason for that, he told us in John 15, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. It's ironic, isn't it? The more that we learn and love like Jesus, the greater the likelihood that we'll be hated because we look like Jesus in how we live. And he warned his followers of the persecution they could expect, and that's exactly what happened. There's a 2,000-year-long line of martyrs who stood with Jesus and were treated like Jesus. They paid for their faith with their lives. And somehow, in hearing those stories, we're unaffected by their stories of martyrdom, maybe because of time, distance, or geography. But when God's warning becomes our reality, our natural reaction is fear. Peter would describe it this way in 1 Peter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you will be blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Typically, we think of it as something that happens in other nations where they don't have freedom of religion. Hold that thought. When it comes to being persecuted for our faith, we may not fear being nailed to a cross or we may not fear being taken out and stoned by angry villagers. But we do have our own fears, like loss of employment or financial security, loss of relationships or reputation. Or maybe it's just the, the fear that we will lose our freedom and the freedom of our future generation of loved ones. So the idea of preparing to stand is fine, but what about when you're afraid? Are you willing to prepare to stand then? Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. Somebody who had more time on their hands than I did, or else a better computer program than I know how to operate, has concluded that there are 366 times in Scripture when you read the phrase, don't be afraid. Now, even I can remember that there are 365 days in the year. 366, ironically, if you count leap year. 
He says, don't be afraid. Well, how do you do that? In Mark chapter 13, verse 11, he gives them this warning. He says, when you're arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance. You just told me, I, but now you tell me. Yeah. Don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time, for it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. And that's the secret. Prepare to stand when you're afraid by knowing that the Spirit of God is with you. When Jesus told his disciples he was going away, he must have seen the panic in their eyes. That's why, in, and, and I'm just going to read through a bunch of these. There were too many to put on the screen, okay? Otherwise, I'd just handed out papers and you could all go home. I know, you're thinking, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> Get the notes when Angie sends them out tomorrow. In John 14, verse 1, he says, Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. A few verses later, in verse 10, he says, The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Well, if it's good enough for Jesus, then it ought to be good enough for us, right? And that's what he tries to tell us. The Father will send you an advocate, he says in verse 17 of John 14. He's the Holy Spirit, and he'll lead you into all truth. So if you're worried about what to say, understand this. His advocate, the Spirit, will tell you all the truth that you need in that moment to say what you need to see, say. In verse 26, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, because after all, he just said, I'm going away. You can't come with me just yet. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit, and he says, He'll teach you everything and remind you of everything that I told you. Where was he when I was in school taking tests? Okay? And that's one of the things that makes us afraid, is that we're just going to be left on our own. And that rarely works out, whether it was from Macaulay Coughlin, or whatever his name is, in Home Alone, or whether it's us, when we're left to our own devices without anybody there to say, just stop where you're at. What Jesus tells us is what we need to hear as well. Prepare to stand when you're afraid because God is with you. In verse 27 of John 14, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift. That gift is the advocate, the mediator, the go-between, the presence of God in spirit form that lives within us. And then he tells them, because of that, you don't need to be troubled or afraid. Jesus told them in Luke 24, I'll send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But you need to stay here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. They remembered that, and they remembered him saying, it's recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You see, there's a lot that we don't understand about the Holy Spirit, and we certainly feel like the, muddies get, the, the waters get muddied some, or the muddies get watered, either way. When we're worried about, well, I don't understand this power thing. Am I going to start raising people from the dead, or what do you mean by that? When the Holy Spirit comes, he says, you will be my witnesses, and you will tell people about me everywhere. 
It was in Acts chapter 2, talking about the day of Pentecost, when in verse 4 it says that everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. They began speaking in other languages to the great crowd of people from nations all under the earth that was there. And it says this, they did that as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Peter, in trying to explain this to people, quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel when he says this. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people, and they will prophesy. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're all witnesses of this. And now he's exalted to the place of honor in heaven at God's right hand. And as he promised, it says in verse 33, the Father gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us. And this is what you see and hear today. They didn't know what to make of that because... The next thing he said was, this is proof that God has made Jesus his son, whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. What do we do now, they cried out. I mean, how do you make it right when you killed God's son? <laughs> and he says, each of you must repent. Repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. God is with you. God can be with you again. And so because of that, he tells them, prepare to stand when you're afraid by putting your faith into action. For some, that would mean, that would mean being baptized into Christ, to be washed of your sin, to be cleansed, and to be able to walk again in a new life with the Spirit of God now in you and guiding you and teaching you. For others, like his disciples, the story would continue in the book of Acts about what that meant by putting your faith into action. For example, in chapter 3, you've got Peter and John making their way to the temple, and they come upon a lame beggar. And they tell him, God has raised Jesus to turn you from your wicked ways. And they healed him. They'd never done anything like that before, but they healed him then, that day. The reward for that, for putting their faith into action, they were arrested and called to testify regarding their actions. What Peter says next in his defense was the direct result of the Holy Spirit's presence in his life. And it says in reaction to that, they saw their boldness, even though they were clearly uneducated, untrained, and common men, but it says they had been with Jesus. They charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus anymore. And their response is a rather notorious one in chapter 4 of Acts, verse 19, when they said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you judge. They released them. And it says that they immediately went back to find their friends and reported to them all that they had done. And they began to pray. 
Here's that prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot against us in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then they make it personal when they apply it this way. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against Jesus. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand, Father, to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. You want to prepare to stand when you're afraid? Do you want to prepare to take a stand and put your faith into action? And then you get blowback for it, and you're threatened, and you've got some hard decisions to make? That's when you find your friends that will pray with you. That's when you find your friends that will pray with you and invite God to work in you and through you in ways that you could never even begin to imagine, understand, or explain. That's when you find your friends who will pray with you for boldness to stand when you're afraid because you're ready to put your faith into action. Well, the thing is, when you do that, sometimes your fears become a reality. And that's why they said in Acts 5, verse 29, we have to obey God rather than men. They were rearrested again. They repeated their threats. You've got to stop. In verse 28 of chapter 5, it says, we gave you strict orders not to speak of this name. And they continued because they were convinced that God had raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him as Savior, and he had given the Holy Spirit to them. And it says in verse 32 of chapter 5, we must obey him. Well, that didn't fix it. All that did was make it worse. Their greatest fears became a reality. In verse 40 of chapter 5, it says that they were beaten and again ordered, commanded to stop speaking about Jesus. They left and went on their way, not whimpering and... No, no, they, they left and went on their way rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And after that, it says in verse 42 of chapter 5, every day and every place, publicly and privately, they did not cease speaking about Jesus. God is with you, so prepare to stand. Even when, even when you don't do everything right. You see... A problem came up after that. They were convinced, we must obey God rather than men. 
But after that, some people were disappointed because they, they didn't think they were treating everybody fairly. They thought they were biased and judgmental. So they made their accusations known to them in Acts chapter 6. You see, they were helping some widows who were believers. And they felt like they were paying special attention to the Jewish widows and ignoring those non-Jewish widows. So, yeah, we'll make the accusation that everybody loves to have made about them. You're just a racist. They were just trying to stand for what's right. They were just trying to do what's right. But it didn't always work out right, and people were disappointed in them. So... Their solution in verse 3 of chapter 6 was, you need to pick out seven men that you trust that are full of the Spirit and wisdom to make things right. So they chose Stephen, one of the first ones mentioned, a man that was full of the faith and full of the Holy Spirit. They prayed and laid their hands on all seven of them. And it says that the word of God increased as well as the number of disciples in Jerusalem. Why? Because they were committed to devoting their time and prayer to the teaching of the Word. We may not always get it right, but we can always make it right. And when you commit yourself to, to prayer and the Word of God, that's a good way to start. God is with you, so you need to prepare to stand when others criticize you. Stephen, the guy who was acknowledged for being full of wisdom. Stephen, the guy who was acknowledged for being full of the Spirit. Stephen, the guy who had had the apostles lay their hands on him and empower them, was full of grace and power, it says in verse 8 and 9. And he was doing great things. And the reaction to that was that people rose up to argue with him. Wisdom? Check. Presence of God? Check. Power of God to do amazing things? Check. Not good enough for everybody because they still found something to complain about? Double check. Verse 10 of chapter 6 in Acts says, They couldn't stand up to the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. And so they did what people frequently do. If I can't reason with you and get you to see my way, well, I'll secretly instigate other people to do what I won't do myself, and I'll lie, and I'll stir them up, and I'll stir up those influential leaders among them, and I'll have them do the dirty work that I don't want my hands dirtied by. That's Acts 6, verse 11 and 12. In verse 13 then, when it came time for yet another trial, they set up false witnesses who would twist his words. Like when Jesus said, I'll de or destroy this place. And while well, he was talking about his body, the temple, not the physical structure. He's trying to change our customs. No, he's trying to get you to get right with God. The result of that, they killed him. But in the meantime, it says his face was like the face of an angel. So whether it's Stephen or us, God is with us. So we need to be prepared to stand and speak the truth, whether people want to hear it or not.
When asked to defend himself, Stephen recited the entire history of God working among his people. You think I preach long sometimes. You know, is he through Leviticus yet? You know, how about judges? No. But he reminded them of their, of their ancestors like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon and how God had worked through all of them. And yet, and yet, they were always met with resistance because people have always been stubborn and deaf to the truth. And in verse 51 of chapter 7 in Acts, he says, they resist the whole, you are resisting the Holy Spirit just like your ancestors did. And typical to how some people respond to the truth. It says in verse 57 of Acts chapter 7 that they refused to listen to him. They put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. And then, I don't know, somebody must have taken one hand off their ear because they grabbed a hold of him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And he simply says, Jesus, receive my spirit, Lord, and don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Well, that would be pretty discouraging, you would think, to anybody who was thinking about being prepared to stand. And yet, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, right after that, it says, no big shock here, a great persecution of the church began that day. And all of the believers, except the apostles, were scattered. And verse 4 of chapter 8 says, And wherever they were scattered, they told people the good news. Sometimes when you take a stand, that doesn't mean stand in one place. Sometimes taking a stand means being scattered. And everywhere you go, you take that stand for God with you. How do I stand when I'm afraid? Let me give you a couple of ideas. It starts with this. You have to nurture a healthy respect for God. As our judge, he's greater than whatever or whoever we're facing. The Bible consistently encourages believers in God to persevere and endure and overcome. But the same Bible also warns us to consider the consequences if we choose to walk away. For example... In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he says, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus isn't just trying to scare people and dangle them over the fires of hell to make them uncomfortable and manipulate them. No, instead, he's trying to prepare his disciples for what they would face and the hard choices that would have to be made. How do I develop that kind of respect for God? You do that for my so that my respect for God is greater than my fear of people. You see, God has revealed himself generally in creation, specifically in his word, dramatically in 3D with his son, and continually through his Holy Spirit, our comforter and our helper. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13 would describe it this way. The most important thing a person can do is to fear God and obey his commandments. 
You see, respect for God starts with a commitment to be obedient to God, regardless. Will you have a greater fear of dying or a greater fear of not obeying God when it comes to persecution? Or will you have a greater fear of ignoring God's will and the consequences of disobedience? We speak of counting the cost of following Jesus, but what of the cost of not following him? It seems like I remember a sermon series not that long ago that talked about what it meant to sacrifice for God. And that sacrifice was not just in a stone building on the other side of the world in the Middle East. Dragging in goats and bulls and animals for a burnt sacrifice. No, sacrificing for God carries the same principles with it. It is our choice to do so because of our desire to worship God. We're willing to pay the cost regardless of what it is because that's how much He means to us. And because He means that much to us, we're willing for Him to change our priorities, our values, and the things that mean the most to us in this world and the world and beyond. Here's a second idea, how to stand when you're afraid. Nurture a healthy perspective of life. And death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, he says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see right now, but rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things that we see now will soon be gone. And the things that we cannot see, these are the things that will last forever. Paul was right. Life is short. I remember talking to mom before she passed away at the age of 102. She says, I can't believe how quick this went. On the other hand, I've had some chemistry tests that were eternity, but... Life is really short, and then comes forever. Knowing you'll stand before the judgment throne of God much sooner than you could have imagined will change your perspective about the things that really matter most now. Do you want to stand before Him knowing that your fear kept you from serving His purpose in your life? When Jesus' obedience led him to hang on a cross, he was serving God's purpose for his life. The day that we stand before God will come to all of us. And it'll happen in the blink of an eye. And that's why for me, I have to remind myself that I would rather stand in the face of persecution, even when I'm afraid than to stand in the face of God and refuse to stand for Him in this life. One last thing. How do you stand when you're afraid? You have to nurture a desire to be with Him in heaven. Whatever the cost, it really is worth it. Jesus pointed the disciples to heaven for a reason. It was so that they could retrain their hearts and the things that meant the most to them. He says in Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you. Not that that would ever happen today, right? 
Yeah, you may not see my tongue in my cheek, but it's there. But then he tells them this. If that happens, rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. The more we focus on the reward, the easier it is to endure the moment. Declare to God what you know to be true. My time in this world is not long. I'll soon stand before your throne in judgment, God. So by your strength, I choose to serve you and your purpose today. The more you say truth like that to yourself, the more you'll come to accept it as the truth and the guiding star in your life. My time in this world is not long. I'll soon stand before your throne in judgment. So by your strength, I will serve you and your purpose today. David, would you in a praise team join me on stage? How do you prepare to stand, especially when you're afraid? Well, let me remind you. You nurture your respect for God, and you show that through obedience. You nurture God's perspective of the brevity of life in the scope of eternity. And you nurture your desire for heaven's reward, regardless of what it costs you now. Oh, one last thing. There will be a sacrifice when you stand for the life, style, and teachings of Jesus. When your values are God's values, there will be a price to pay, and every sacrifice involves choice, cost, and change. Jesus never promised easy, but he did give us this guarantee in Luke 21, verse 19. Stand firm, even when you're afraid. Stand firm, and you will win life. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at barrysvillechristian.org.